Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on February 27th, 2022, on the basis of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Our focus this morning will be on the section of Paul's letter from the Corinthians. Uh, today, the, the letter is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. We read this for the second lesson, but it honestly doesn't take too much time after reading this to realize that we have waded into deep waters. In this section alone, Paul draws on, this, on a specific section of the Old Testament He lays out the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, between the law and the gospel. He pulls out two concepts of condemnation and righteousness, and he talks specifically about the work of two members of the Trinity. There's just a lot in here. So, for your reference, I'd like you to keep the the bulletin open today so that you have some simple definitions in front of you, and so we can stay afloat as we wade into these deep waters. And so with that in mind, I'd want us to read 2 Corinthians just one more time to keep the Word of God firmly imprinted on our hearts. Paul says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So, let's begin by unpacking just a few things. In this section right away, the, the word covenant is used, but, but you notice that it's only used one time. But the, the concept of covenant runs through this entire section and really the, the entire Bible. So to, to go back to our catechism days, the, the term covenant simply means promise. A covenant is a contract of sorts. One party promises to do one thing while the other party promises a, a different thing. In return. And so in the Bible, God makes two big covenants with his people. These are what we refer to as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, we want to be careful to understand this correctly. 
We aren't saying Old Testament and New Testament. Those are two different parts of the Bible. I don't want you to open up your, your Bible to the Old Testament and assume that you're reading from the Old Covenant. But what we're talking about here is Old Covenant and New Covenant. Uh, are you with me so far? For the origins of the Old Covenant, we need to go back to the time of Moses. It was at that time that God made this covenant with the Israelites. And that's why Paul mentioned what he did in, in this letter. He said, engraved in letters on stone. And when Paul says that, we're called into a picture of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, right? Some of you understand that reference. But yes, we're called into the picture of Moses and the Israelites receiving the Ten Commandments. These were the, the letters that were engraved on stone. This is where the Israelites and Moses received the law. And so, as we're, we're picturing this old covenant, we're hearing words like command, like do, like don't do. And so we are rightly thinking that this old covenant is in the realm of the law. And in a sense, the law is also a contract. Do this and good things will happen. Don't do this and punishment will will follow. The law is a contract of sorts. So here's an example. The fourth commandment says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. There's a command with a, a consequence of that command, a good one. Now, in, in the Bible, it, it lays out a negative consequence for not carrying this out. We would say, in general, this commandment is respecting authority. And so, Paul says in Romans, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is what he's talking about when he talks about the law. It's commands, threats, and punishments. On the other hand, we have the new covenant. This covenant is different from the old one. The new covenant is a one-sided covenant. So, so here's how you might picture it, because the old covenant is a two-sided covenant. You, you might picture it as, as you, the old covenant as, as, an, as two arrowheads, one coming from God to us and the other coming from us to God. But the new covenant has just one arrowhead, one arrowhead and that comes from God to us. This covenant is the promise that God made to save his people from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. To forgive sins through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. You'll hear those very words today when we take communion. In the words of institution, Jesus says, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus poured out his blood so that we could be forgiven. That's the fulfillment of the new covenant, the promise from God to his people, free of charge, a true one-sided covenant. So, as you can see, the new covenant is the gospel. It's important that we, we took a little time to lay this groundwork, to lay this foundation, because these concepts are going to be running throughout this section of 2 Corinthians. And because Paul is going to make comparisons between the old covenant and the new, between the law and the gospel, and he begins with a similarity. Two similarities, perhaps. One, one is implicit, the other is explicit. The implicit one 
is that both the Old and the New Covenant come from God. The one that's explicit that, that Paul lays out for us is that both were glorious. And so to describe the glory of the Old Testament, of the, old, the Old Covenant rather, he brings us back to the time of Moses. After the, the Israelites had been delivered from the Egyptians and from slavery in Egypt, now they were in the wilderness, camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, when Moses was to go up on the mountain and receive the covenant law from God. And so he spent some time up on that mountain, and when he came back down to relay that law to the people, he didn't realize it, but his face was glorious. It was bright. It was so bright, in fact, that the people didn't want to look right at him. They, they urged him to put a veil over his face because it was so bright. Now, it seems like as Moses was talking to the Lord, the glory of the Lord soaked into his face, and now he reflected that very glory. <laughs> Paul says, this is proof. This is proof that the old covenant that was given to Moses is glorious. Yet in verse 8, he makes sure to quickly say, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the old covenant was glorious, then the new covenant will be even more glorious. Now there's a similarity. They're, they're both glorious. But the differences are quickly drawn out. Right away in verse 7, the old covenant brought about death, Paul says. It only brought life to those who could keep those laws perfectly, but the problem was no one ever did. No one at Moses' time kept God's law perfectly, and neither have we. Even if we go down the list of the Ten Commandments and we list all the ones that we seem that would seem to be easy to keep, like the Fifth Commandment, do not murder, or the Sixth Commandment, do not commit adultery, even those we are convicted of as Jesus expounds on the law and says, even if you harbor just a little bit of hate in your heart, you are a murderer. Even if you have lust for a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And maybe not even just a woman, but if you have lust after a picture of a woman, you've committed lust and adultery in your heart. Now, even if we could get off on those two, uh, James says, even if you break just one law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And so we learn that to the lawbreaker comes death. Therefore, this is a ministry of death. Now, when Paul is talking here, he's talking about spiritual death. The law kills us. It kills us by convicting us of our sin. It kills us by bringing judgment into our hearts. We have not kept God's law. We have not loved God, and because of that, we're spiritually dead in our relation to God. And the spiritually dead deserve condemnation. Paul says that Moses' glorious ministry brought condemnation. It kills and it condemns. Now, we should make a quick note here. Just because the law has this effect on us does not mean that the law is evil or bad. We know that the law comes from God, so it is, it is good, it's perfect, it's holy, it's glorious. But the law has this effect because we're evil, because we're sinful. So what's Paul trying to do here? Is Paul trying to scare us back on the right track? <laughs> that doesn't seem to be what Paul is doing. What Paul is doing is he's laying out what the old covenant with the law brings so that he could draw out 
the glory, the ever-increasing glory of the new covenant. Because if the law kills and condemns, then how glorious is the covenant that gives eternal life and makes you righteous? The, the glory of the new covenant far surpasses the old. Think about it for a second. What, what does the old covenant or law do? Well, it turns you inward, right? Toward yourself, and it reveals the true spiritual state of your heart. Now compare, what does the new covenant do? It doesn't turn you inward. It pushes you outward. It shows you Jesus who saved you from the spiritual state of your heart. It shows you Jesus who gives you righteousness and takes away your sin. The new covenant, the gospel, is a ministry that brings you hope, not death. And not hope in in the way that the world thinks about hope. This is hope that is certain. You know with certainty that you are righteous in Christ. You know with certainty that your sins have been taken away. You know with certainty that when you die, you'll be in heaven. That is hope that only the gospel can give you. The new covenant certainly is glorious. It has lasting and surpassing glory, as Paul says. Yet Paul's not done talking here. The Corinthians at this time were trading the surpassing glory of the new covenant for the temporary glory of the old. Instead of preaching the gospel, the Corinthians were only preaching the law. How could they possibly think that that was a good idea? It was a massive problem. If only the law was preached, then people would be convicted with no comfort, cut with no healing, killed with no resurrection. They would be going back to a ministry that brought death. Why? When you read the scripture, you hear it in church, do you have moments like this where you just can't understand how people could possibly sin in such a way? Whether it's Abraham or Moses or Samson or David or Peter or the Second Corinthians, how could they fall into such an obvious sin? I found myself having those same moments in scripture every now and then, and when I have those thoughts, I know that I need to focus a little more intently. I need to reflect a little bit more on Scripture and my own heart. Because if at first I thought that I would never fall into such an obvious sin, upon further reflection, I find that in some way, shape, or form, I often have. So when we ask, how could the Corinthians want to go back to the Old Covenant? How could the Corinthians preach the law without preaching the gospel? We need to reflect further on our own hearts. In your life, when you sin and and you're aware of that sin, what is your instinct? I think we'd all like to say that our instinct is to immediately lay that sin at the foot of the cross and trust Jesus to forgive it. But I think that most of us know that our instinct, our first instinct, is to do something. Our first instinct is that that we're going to remove everything that reminds me of that sin, everything that, that tempts me to sin like that again, and I am going to personally, by my own self-control, stay away from that sin forever and conquer it. And while this seems like a very noble path, this is relying on me to conquer sin and not Jesus. This is living in the law, not in the, the gospel, in the old covenant, not in the new. How about in our relationship with others? Now, now perhaps the, the easiest relationship to talk about this with is the, the parent-child relationship. 
Most parents would say that they want genuine heart change in their children. No matter where their children are at, they, they'd love for the gospel, Jesus, to change their heart. Yet most parents, or, or I shouldn't say most, but, but a lot of parents take the posture of making more rules and, and applying stricter punishments as a way to change their children. And, and if this is the tactic... If it's to rely on the law, then we are living in the law. We're living the old covenant. And what Paul says is that a veil covers our heart in such instances. This, these tactics are, are fading glory, temporary glory, transitory glory. It's a veil covering the heart. If you seek to try to do something and try to remove that sin from your life and conquer it on your own, it may work. It may work for a little bit. It may work for good. Yet without the gospel heart change that that only the gospel can bring, that will be fading glory. Same with your relation with others. If you are, are looking to stricter rules and harsher punishments and threats to bring about behavior change in your children, it may work for a little bit. But without the heart change that only the gospel can bring, that will be surface-level obedience at best. If we look to the law to accomplish what only the gospel can accomplish, we are living with veiled hearts. Only the gospel has the power to transform a heart and a life. Only the gospel can remove the veil that covers hearts. Paul says to the Corinthians, Christ has removed that veil. Through his perfect life and innocent sacrifice, he fulfilled the law. So we could live in the gospel. So we could live in grace and forgiveness. The message that Jesus wants you to hear when you sin is that you're forgiven. You're loved. You're righteous in God's sight. He doesn't need you to do something, but focus on what has been done for you. That's what truly transforms a heart. Dare I say, transfigures a heart. I've already said it a few times today, but we're now heading into the season of Lent. This is a time where we contemplate our own sinfulness more intently. This is a time where we look back on the great suffering and pain of Je- that Jesus suffered on our behalf. It generally has a rather somber tone. Yet this season is glorious. Look at Paul's words in verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This Lenten season, we'll be contemplating the Lord's glory. At first, it won't look glorious, because there will be mocking and spitting and whipping and nailing and bleeding and dying. But hidden in this suffering is where the Lord's glory was displayed for the salvation of the whole world. Hidden in this suffering is where our hearts were won back from sin and the devil. Hidden in this suffering is the greatest glory ever. It's the glory of Christ's cross that brought about our own transfiguration into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. And as Paul says, that is glory that lasts. Amen.